appreciate Harmon. He's our third year uh, Bible student. He's going to be going back to college uh, down in St. Louis here in another probably three or two or three weeks. Try to keep him as long as we can. But we appreciate it, and, and, and just a fine young man. I, I really admire him. I appreciate someone who will uh, seek the things of God in the level that he is. And so tonight, I know he's got some good things to tell us, and let's take our Bibles and let's receive them in Jesus' name. God bless you, sir. Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Thanks, Lord Jesus. How many of you are thankful for our God who we serve? Yes. Thank you, Jesus. Before we begin, can we... Uh, I would like to turn to Psalms chapter 46. I'm going to start, we're just going to read the whole verse, the whole chapter. So in Psalm 46, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth be moved and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. Salah. There is a river the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. The heathen raged. The kingdoms were moved. He uttered his voice. The earth melted. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come behold the works of the Lord. What desolations he hath made in the earth. He maketh wars to cease unto the end of the earth. He breaketh the bow. He cutteth the spear in sunder. He burneth the chariot in the fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the heathen, and I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And then turn to Second Chronicles chapter 32, and we'll start in verse 1. Second Chronicles 32, starting verse 1. And after these things and the establishment thereof, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered into Judah and encamped against the fenced cities, and though to win, again, win them for himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib was come and that he was proposed to fight against Jerusalem, he took counsel with his princes and his mighty men to stop the wars of the, fount of the fountains, the waters of the fountains, which were without the city, and they did help him. So there were gathered much people together who stopped all the fountains and the brook that ran through the midst of the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? Also he strengthened himself and built up the, all the wall that was broken and raised it up to the towers and another wall without and repaired Milo in the city of David and made darts and shields in abundance. And he set captains of war over the people and gathered them together to him in the street of the gate of the city, and spake comfortably, comfortably to them, saying, Be strong and courageous, be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for there be more with us than with him. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. As we know, Hezekiah, the new king, watched as his father Ahaz was buried. Hezekiah could not have been more different from his father, whose rule over Judah had thankfully come to an end. 
Ahaz had been wicked and did not that which was right, did not that was rich in the sight of the Lord, for he walked in the ways of the kings of Israel. Ahaz had forsaken the Lord and worshipped the gods of the surrounding nations, even offering children as burnt sacrifices. Ahaz had gone so far as to gather as to gather together the vessels of the house of God and cut in pieces the vessels of the house of the God and shut up the doors of the house of the Lord and he made altars in every corner of Jerusalem and in every city and in every several city of Judah he made high places to burn incense unto other gods and provoked to anger the Lord God of his fathers let me see that in second chronicles chapter 28 but in the height of his idolatry Ahaz died, and Hezekiah came to the throne, and he did that was, which was right in the sight of the Lord. Long before Ahaz died, Hezekiah had begun making plans for overturning his father's idolatrous practices. Once in power, Hezekiah first reopened the temple. He then gathered priests and Levites and commanded them to consecrate themselves for service in the, in the temple and to purify it and restore the sacrifices. As he restored right worship, Hezekiah also eliminated false worship and removed the altars from Jerusalem. The crown of his restoration was a two-week-long celebration of Passover. After this, he commanded that all the altars and high places be destroyed throughout Judah. And thus did Hezekiah throughout all Judah, and wrought that was good and right and truth before the Lord his God. And in every work that he began in the service of the house of God and in the law, and in the commandments to seek his God, he did with all his heart and prospered. It wasn't enough that Hezekiah would just be, that he would just be good and he would follow the Lord. Yes, that is good. That, that is what we must do. However, unlike all the other kings of, all the other kings of Judah, Hezekiah was the only king that, that took it a step further. He said that it's not enough that I alone have to serve the Lord, but it, we have to tear down all the other idols. We need to tear down everything else that does not please God. He took it upon himself and used his authority to go around and tear down every idol, tear down every grove and place, every image that did not represent God. It wasn't enough that he would just sit around and just, I'm just going to go ahead and do my own thing. I'm pleasing God. I'm, doing, I'm, I'm following the law. I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But Hezekiah decided, no, this is not enough. It's not enough for me to just be able to do the worship God. And I need everybody must follow the, follow the Lord. Everyone must do what God has commanded, commanded them to do. It's not enough that I, I alone have to do it. It seems right that God would continually bless Hezekiah and for his devotion and that his reign would be one of peace and prosperity. For many years it was so, but in the 14th year of his reign, a terrible report came to him. The mighty Assyrians, brutal empire builders, had invaded and were bent on destroying Jerusalem. How could this be? Hezekiah was beginning to experience the fact that pure devotion does not mean trouble-free prosperity. But he was also about to experience what he had always believed, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. During Ahaz's reign, his wickedness and idolatry had led God to hand Ahaz over to his enemies. And we see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 28. Facing enemy attacks, Ahaz made the fatal error of appealing to the mighty Assyrians for military aid. The Assyrians did come and deliver Ahaz and Judah from the kings of Aram and Israel. But the prize for this was Ahaz became a vassal of the king of Assyria. As a vassal, Ahaz had to pay a yearly tribute and had to formally recognize the Assyrian gods. 
when Hezekiah became king, he rejected this vassalage and rebelled against the king of Assyria, and he did not serve him. The Assyrian king, Sennacherib, tolerated no rebellion and marched on Judah in order to chastise Hezekiah. Sennacherib attacked and captured all the fortified cities of Judah and set his sights on Jerusalem. When it became clear that Jerusalem was Sennacherib's next target, Hezekiah first tried to avoid a devastating siege by telling Sennacherib he would pay him whatever he wanted if he would withdraw. Sennacherib demanded and received an enormous sum, but nevertheless, he did not withdraw. Hezekiah was a man who trusted in God. He had such trust in the Lord, the Bible says, that he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among all the other kings of Judah, nor any that were before him. Hezekiah surpassed all others in trust in the Lord. His deep trust in God, however, did not mean that he thought God would do all the work. Hezekiah did what he could do while trusting that God would do what Hezekiah could not do. First, he tried to pay the Assyrians to leave. When that failed, he set about to undermine the Assyrians' ability to wage war against him. And so what did he do? Hezekiah cut off the water supplies outside the city to deny the Assyrians an easy source of water to sustain them during a siege. He went then about fortifying the city itself. He would do everything he knew to do while trusting in God for success. In short, Hezekiah prepared for battle while seeking and depending on the Lord. He repaired the city wall where it had been broken. He built towers on the wall from where, which his soldiers could attack their attackers. Then he added in another entire wall while repairing other military fortifications and making weapons and shields in abundance. So what, would you fault Hezekiah for trying to pay off Sennacherib and characterize his actions as a lack of faith? Or would it be more accurate to characterize it as wisdom and even love for his own people? What do you, what do you guys think? Wisdom? Mm -hmm. Anyone else have anything? So I, I definitely would say that, at least for me, that I think it would be wisdom because he did, like, he, like he, he wanted to avoid conflict. He wanted to, he wanted to, uh, he wanted to preserve the people of God. And so he, he would do what he would, he would, he would try to avoid war. He would try to avoid, like, attacking the enemy as much as he could. First, he would, obviously, he tried to pay them off. But seeing that that didn't work, Hezekiah took it upon himself that if that's not going to work, we're going to cut off their supplies. We're going to do what we can to protect the city and protect the people. After strengthening the physical city and walls, Hezekiah began to strengthen the spirit of the people. To encourage them, he did not focus on their abilities. He didn't focus on their valor. He didn't focus on all he had done to fortify the city or what, he, or what the people might do. Instead, he focused on encouraging the people and told them that they need to trust in the Lord. That is going to be the Lord that is going to deliver them from their situation. He cried out to the people, Be strong and courageous. Be not afraid nor dismayed for the king of Assyria, nor for all the multitude that is with him, for they be more with us than with him. At first glance, it may sound that Hezekiah stressed that they could trust their numerical strength because there were more of them in Jerusalem than the Assyrian army. But the more, the more was not about how many more were with them, but who was with them. Hezekiah added, with him is an arm of flesh. With the king of Assyria is an arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. The enemy may have 
they may have numbers. They may have different tactics that we may not have. But one thing that we may do, that we do have, is that we have the Lord and we have him. And we can trust in him to help us in our time of need. Courage swelled in the people's hearts as Hezekiah's words had their intended effect. This was not Hezekiah just putting on a bold face in a desperate attempt to stir up some of the people to remain firm. No, this was something the people could see in Hezekiah's eyes and they could hear in his voice. They knew that he was certain of what he spoke. The end of 2 Chronicles chapter 32, in verse 8, it says, And the people rested themselves upon the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. Or as the English Standard Version puts it, the people took confidence from the words of Hezekiah. They placed their confidence in the help from God that Hezekiah proclaimed, and they rested in him. So what does Hezekiah's example reveal about the power of one person's faith? And as we think about and we ponder this question, uh, we'll watch a video. In looking at the story of Hezekiah, his faith was never once in question. He's a great leader. He is a, uh, someone who pushes faith, pushes understanding of God's word, his commandments. It has never been in question. It's never been misunderstood what Hezekiah represented in the grand scheme of Israel and the Bible and, and taking a stand for what is right. In his restoration of the law, in his restoration of the temple, Hezekiah took a stand for what was true and what was right in God's eyes. This reveals a couple of things to me. First and foremost, I would tell you that Hezekiah, even though he was king, even though he was leader, um, there were certainly going to be people that did not follow him if he was not strong in his convictions. Hezekiah's faith and understanding of what God wanted drove him to share those convictions with the nation, to bring them back from an off-track course to in will with what God desired for his people. In spite of everything, Hezekiah's faith drove others to be faithful like him. And that is incredible. But there's also something else that I believe that Hezekiah's story reveals to us as people of faith and people of God. Hezekiah's faith did not begin when he became king, when he was elected by God to rule the nation. Because the Bible tells us that, that on the first day of the first year of his reign that Hezekiah acted in faith and began to put these rules and regulations in place and bring Israel to where it needed to be. But Hezekiah's faith began before that. It began in a prayer room, in a personal relationship with God. And before Hezekiah began his rule, before he was elevated to a place of purpose, his faith took hold within his heart, within his habits. It was a foundation for everything that he built his life on so that when he finally became ruler, Hezekiah's faith could shine in all of its glory of what God intended for it to be. So what does Hezekiah's example reveal about the power of, one's, of one person's faith? 
What does that show us? Yes, exactly. For the colors, I saw you hanging. Cool, just flapped it. Yeah, so the, I just see that just the act of like Proverbs 61, man told to Eve, you know, many were made by forsaking the teachings of Jesus Christ. So it just takes one person to believe. And the Bible says without, you know, that faith, that little bit of seed of faith is complete, completes God. Mm-hmm. And so it doesn't take a lot, but, you know, someone to step out and do it, um, it that, that takes faith. And, you know, that's usually an example that we see like Abraham, uh, the people in the Bible, Yes, brother, that's a really good example. One person's faith can infect the people around you. One person's actions can infect those around you for both good and for bad. In this example, Hezekiah's faith, because, because of his, his firm and like outstanding faith, it infected those around him. And, some, and the people that were in the crowd that were possibly like a little bit timid or possibly scared, their faith might have been shaken. Through, because of Hezekiah's faith and that he demonstrated that, those people that maybe may have once had those thoughts, that had those doubts, that they, they decided to shake them off. It's like, you know what? You're right. That God is with us. That God is fighting for us. On the, other, on the other hand, if Hezekiah would not have done that, if Hezekiah would have shown fear, it would have spread more fear to the rest of the nation that the people... They, they would have acted out in fear, and who knows what, what they could have done or what they would not have done. When Hezekiah assured the people that God would be a refuge for them and would fight their battles, he was echoing a theme we see in several places in the Old Testament. When the Israelites, for example, faced the Red Sea and saw the Egyptians bearing down on them, in, in terror they cried out to the Lord. Moses told them, Fear ye not, stand still, and see the salvation of the Lord. The Lord shall fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And that's in Exodus chapter 14. At another time when the Ammonites and Moabites came to make war against King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, the king cried out to God that they were too weak to stand against such a mighty foe. A Levite named Jehaziel prophesied and encouraged them to stand strong. Second Chronicles chapter 20 in verse 15, it says, Thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. We can find strength in these promises too and believe that God still fights for his people and is a saving refuge for us. Never does a New Testament writer assert that this was only for the Old Testament. On the contrary, in Romans chapter 15 and verse 4, Paul said, For whatsoever things were written aforetime, were written for our learning, that we, through patience and comfort of the scriptures, might have hope. He added in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. We too can claim these promises. What is a promise from scripture that you find yourself repeating as a source of encouragement and strength? For me personally, um, one of my, this is actually my all-time favorite scripture. This is Habakkuk 2 and 20. It says, but the Lord is in his temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. Let all the distractions of the world, let all the voices 
of like the world, of the enemy, of the people around you. Let, let, like let those voices like cease into the background. God's still on the throne. And I find, I find comfort in that scripture. Psalms 27 1. That's a good one. Sister C? I have to take that adultery Yes, 1 Corinthians 29, 11, verse 11 and 13. That's really good. Oh, the psalmist expressed this courage, this encouraging truth in Psalms 46, 1, that God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. It's important to know what this verse implies about trouble. We will unfortunately, we're going we're gonna to face problems. But God does not promise to, all, God does not all promise to always be with us to keep us from trouble. Rather, he promises to always be with us in our trouble, the trouble that will inevitably come our way as we live in this fallen world, the trouble that may come our way even as we live righteously as Hezekiah did while seeking God with, our, with all of our hearts. It's like just because that we're living a righteous life, just because that we're living, we're living a good life doesn't mean that we're not going to face problems. That the, the preconceived notion that if I start serving God, everything is going to go my way. Jesus, many things did not go right for Jesus. Everything, with, everything that happened was prophesied long ago, but that doesn't mean that Jesus is going to go through everything and just live, the, like live a life free of like pain and suffering. He, he, died on the, he died on a cross. The crucifixion on a cross was one of, probably the worst type of torture and punishment dur uh, during those times. Not going to go into the details of that, but it was, it was a very painful process, and Jesus had to go through that, and he had to shed his blood on a cross for us on that cross because of how much he loved us. He went through all that pain and suffering just so we could have a better life in him. doesn't mean that we're not going to face troubles, because he did. People, people hated him. People really did. His own people like, did, did, not, did not include him. His own people rejected him. Scripture says that. But we know that God is always with us in trouble. So how have you found God to be an ever-present help in trouble? How has God helped you in, in times of stress, in times of worry or fear?
Right. Yes, prayer is a very, very vital method, very vital tool that we use because we need, we need God and we can and through prayer that we can get a that we can get a hold of God that we develop that connection that even at times where we don't need to have like a we don't need, we don't need to say anything fancy to get God's attention which is a God I'm dealing with this I don't know what to do I like I don't know what to do here. Like, I trust you. I'm giving it to you. Like this, like, this is yours. This is not my battle to fight. This is yours. And that's, that's, all, that's all it takes is that we just need to develop that connection with God. We need to just pray. Whatever time of day it is, morning, night, evening, the middle of the day, in the middle of work, like, at any, at any point in time, wherever you're at, that God, is, that God is going to hear you. God always hears your prayers. He knows your situation. The psalmist assures his readers that God was always right in the midst of his people. In Psalms 46, 4 and 5, he described it as God being in the midst of the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. And because God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. Why will she not be moved? Because God shall help her, and that right early, or as the New King James Version puts it, just at the break of dawn. In light of his promises to fight for his people, God said through the psalmist, Be still and know that I am God. Yes, we are to do what we can to be ready for the troubles and battles that will come. Hezekiah did what he could. But having done his best to prepare, he ceased his work and looked to the Lord, who was in the midst of the holy city, for the actual victory. We can do all that we can to, pre to prepare us for trouble. We can do all that we can to prevent certain things from happening. But there are times when bad things that will happen and it's out of our control. And we need to look to God and we need to trust in him that everything is going to be all right, that everything is going to work out. Though Hezekiah did have the solid foundation of faith and was acting on it, the Assyrians' threat was so cruel, terrifying, and blasphemous that Hezekiah's faith, not surprisingly, did waver for a moment. In a moment of doubt about his and Jerusalem's fate, Hezekiah sent some of his officials dressed in sackcloth to the prophet Isaiah. Though them, through them, Hezekiah expressed concern for their lack of strength and military might. They told the prophet, therefore pray for the remnant that still survives. And that's in 2 Kings chapter 19. In response, God gave a word to Isaiah for Hezekiah. Thus saith the Lord, be not afraid of the words which thou hast heard, with, the, with which the servants of the king of Assyria has, have blasphemed me. Behold, I will send a blast upon them, and he shall hear a rumor, and shall return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. In effect, God was telling Isaiah, be still and know that I am God. Hezekiah, you need to, call, you need to quiet down. Cease your fretting. Remember your faith. You don't have to depend on yourself. I've got this. We don't need to depend on our own power. Because at the end of the day, there's only so many things that we can do.
but it is through God and it's through him that we are able to do even like go through some of these things and come out on the other end. Scripture says in Zechariah of chapter 4 and verse 6, it says, my, my mind just uh, shut down for a second. All right. It's the, what it says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. It is not through your might. It's not through your own power. None of the things that you can do will be able to keep up with what God can do. That is only through God. It's through his spirit that we're able to do the things that, we're, that we can go through. We're able to overcome the things in our lives that try to tear us down, that try to distract us from the things of God. And God was true to his word. He sent an angel to cut off all the mighty men of valor. And when the king of Assyria came into the house of his God, he was killed by those closest to him. And we see that in 2 Chronicles chapter 32. At times, those with the most faith will fall into moments of doubt and almost give way to despair. But in those dark moments, let the psalmist be for us what Isaiah was for Hezekiah a calming and faith-inspiring voice saying, be still and know that he is God and that he is for you and ready to enter the battle to deliver you. We have another video. Got two this time. One of the most unique attributes of God that we find in the word is right there in Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Our God is a God of movement. In fact, one thing that I really believe is God is not a monument, God is a movement. We see Him working and moving throughout Scripture on a continual basis. Of course, when we get to the day of Pentecost, we see the sound of a mighty rushing wind. There is movement throughout the Bible. God is always a God of movement. We are told to run this race with patience. We are told to, to look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. So as there's, there's this constant characteristic, if you will, that you and I, as the people of God, should be constantly moving forward. Paul even said, I forget those things that are behind me and I press forward, I look towards something. Yet there are times in our life that we are to be still and we are to know that he is God. What is it about God that makes us recognize our, oh, what's the word I'm looking for here, our uncertainty of our abilities, I guess you could say. There are times that I can't force things. I have to just stop and let the God the God of movement, the God of power, the God of continually working together for our good, step in and do what he does best. It's those moments of trials, those moments where we think we could push our way through that God reminds us as he did Moses, just, just stand still. I'm working, I'm moving, I'm, I'm gonna take care of this. And so as you face the various things in your life, know this, you are a person that is to move forward. You are a person that is constantly in motion. But there are times you have to let God do the work because he promised us that he is for us, not against us. And he's got a pattern, he's got a purpose, and he's taking you down a path. So in those times, when you don't know where to turn, stop, slow down, wait for the God that is in motion.
Christ. Thank you, Jesus. So how can we how can we be still and know that He is God, but also be in motion as we walk through the tests and trials of life? How can we do the how can we do these things? <laughs> yeah. God Yeah, God can he can keep us stuck because I know sometimes that we tend to, there's times in our lives when we can go too far ahead and God has to slow us down. He has to kind of reach around us and pull us back a little bit. He's like, hang on, you're stepping out of bounds here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you back a little bit. But there's also going to be times that, that God is calling us to move forward, that God is calling us to move on from certain things and we're still st- stuck in position. And the, during those times, God is going to have to you know, give us a little nudge. It's like, I'm I'm moving. I need you to move too. I need you to I need you to move along with me, all right? That God gives us that God will give us the direction. That that in those in those times that it takes it it takes like, like continu- continual prayer, continual reading his word, just like getting into the presence of God to like know when to move on and know when to stand still. During times that we may be facing hardships that we may be confused and we we're doing everything that we can those are the times that we need to settle we need to settle down we need to focus we need to tune our we need to tune our mind to God and we need to think about that God is still in control and that we have that we can have a peace that surpasses all understanding and we can trust in him that he is doing what needs to be done to drive home the point that God is a warrior who saves those who trust in him, the psalmist concluded in Psalm 46 by reassuring God's people that the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. At least four times in this psalm, the psalmist asserted that God is present with us. Three times he proclaimed that God is a refuge for us. Those are facts. The Lord of armies is with us. That means for me and for you. Let's take God at his word and look to him to be our refuge and strength, our very present help in trouble. We face all kinds of troubles and enemies in this life, both human and demonic. We, we deal with people all the time in like certain places. It could be family, it could be people at work that may be giving, giving us a hard time. It could be anybody. And there are times that it could be that it's, that it's demonic, that it could be different spirits attacking us. It could, Different, thing, different things trying to sow things into our minds that should not be there in the first place. But we can be glad that we are not alone in this fight. We can be glad that there will always be more of us. Be more, we can be glad there will always be more for us than for them because the Lord our God is in our midst to fight our battles. But for us to see this as a reality in our lives, we must go beyond just being glad for these facts and approving of them. We must act on them when we see enemies on the horizon coming our way to attack us. In our day, we're not likely to see an actual army coming our way. But what if someone on the job attacks you, criticizes your work, sows seeds of doubt about your integrity, or undermines your boss's opinion of you and your chances of promotion, or whatever the case may be? What if you're trying to start a new ministry at church and someone doesn't think you have what it takes to do it and tries to sow doubt about you to your pastor and discourages others from getting involved and supporting the ministry? Or what if a boy, I know none of us are high school students, 
Not anymore, at least. Or what if a bully at school is making, uh, uh, making fun of your child's life miserable? What if the per a bully in school is giving your child a hard time, doing things that they shouldn't be doing? What happens then? What if you feel under constant spiritual assault from Satan and feelings of fear or temptation assail you? We can give many examples, various ways that, en that the enemy made like array himself against us. But what do we do? Regardless of what the enemy might do, be still and know that he is God. Claim, cry out that God is your refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Be like Hezekiah. Do what you can reasonably to do what you can reasonably do to clarify things with your boss, to assure your pastor, to speak to a teacher and equip your child to deal with bullies, and to minimize Satan's ability to tempt or attack you. By all means, take action. But as, you, but, but as you do what you do, fix your eyes on him. Confess God's promises to be an ever-present warrior who will fight your battles. And then stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. As I wrap, wrap up here, I wonder if we can uh, pray that God would give us the wisdom and he would allow us to recognize that who he is and that we can trust in him. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day, Lord. We thank for who you are and for your goodness and your mercy, Jesus. There is no one that is like you and no one greater than you, Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus that, Lord, whatever situations may arise, God, that whatever may come our way, Lord Jesus, that, God, we know that we can trust in you, Lord Jesus. We know, Lord Jesus, that, God, you are a provider. You are a defender, God. You are our banner, Lord Jesus. And that, God, that we can trust in you when things go wrong, Lord Jesus. That, God, even when we be facing problems, that, God, even when we be facing things in our lives, Lord Jesus, financial struggles, Lord Jesus, things in our mind, Lord Jesus, that we may be dealing with, Lord, we believe in the name of Jesus, that God, that you are with us, Lord Jesus, and that God, that we can be still and know that you are God. You are who you say you are. You are the I am, Lord Jesus. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You know of all things, God. And Lord, that we can trust in you, Lord Jesus. I pray in the name of Jesus. Let our minds, Lord Jesus, and our hearts, Lord God, be aligned with your will, God. And that, Lord, that we can trust in you when things don't go right, Lord Jesus. Jesus, thank, thank you. you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I want. It's like the song says, I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. Cause I could never, never out love the Lord. Let's sing this again, amen. I want to live the way He wants me to live. I want to give until there's just no more to give. I want to love, love till there's just no more love. Cause I could never, never out love the Lord. One more time. 